number of years ago, I received a telephone call from a woman who was very concerned about a relative of hers who had recently joined the cult of Seventh-day Adventism, a religion that essentially teaches that salvation comes by faith in Christ plus, and that's the problem, plus keeping certain Old Testament laws, which then makes it really a works-based false religion. If you add anything to Christ, it is salvation by works. Now, as a result of joining this cult, this woman's relative had done a number of things. First of all, she quit her job because her job demanded that she work on Saturdays, and Seventh-day Adventism forbids this. She also stopped eating any foods that she felt violated Old Testament dietary laws. She also embraced the belief that death meant her soul sleeping for an extended period of time, as opposed to what the Bible teaches, when a believer dies, they go immediately into the presence of the Lord. A doctrine is called soul sleep. And she was now telling people that they had to observe the Sabbath day, or else they would receive the mark of the beast and be lost forever. Now, the reason that this woman called me in the first place was that uh, not only was she concerned about the spiritual condition of her relative, but frankly, she was very much concerned about her own relationship with the Lord. See, although this woman was a Christian, she found herself becoming very confused by what she was hearing from her relative, and she was afraid that she might begin to gravitate towards some of this teaching. Now, the reason I mention this story is because what happened to this woman can happen to any one of us. It goes something like this. This is a scenario that can very easily take place. Someone you know and care about, maybe someone you have respected over the years for their Bible knowledge, becomes attracted to false teaching, perhaps some long-standing cult or maybe a new religious group or perhaps even a dynamic teacher with a large following. And this person that you know begins to share with you some of this, the, the new and exciting things that they've been learning in their new religious belief system. But the things that they're telling you just don't sound right. At least you've never heard them before. You've never heard them taught in your evangelical church. And over the years, you've heard many, many sermons, but you've never heard this stuff. But the more that they share with you about their new beliefs, the more you find yourself becoming confused and even questioning whether what you've been taught up to this point about the Bible and Jesus Christ is correct. This new teaching, though, sounds intriguing. It sounds interesting, fascinating. And you can see that it has certainly made a major impact on the person who's been sharing with you. In fact, you've never seen this person so excited about what they're, they're learning, especially compared to those in your church who seem so blasé and unenthused about Bible teaching. Now, your interest has been aroused because if this new teaching can stir up this kind of enthusiasm and excitement, then maybe you should check it out. In fact, in your thinking now, you've decided that one Sunday you're going to go away from your church, your local church. You're going to go visit 
this religious group with your friends, and you're going to find out for yourself what's really going on. What do they believe? What is so special about this religious group? Now, folks, this is how many people, even Christians, get sucked up into cults and false religious systems. Now, for a Christian, eventually, a true Christian who gets involved in a cult will leave that cult eventually and return to the truth, but not after a great deal of anguish and heartache. Getting captivated by false teaching like this is exactly the concern that the New Testament writer Jude had for his readers. And that is the very reason he wrote his little epistle at the very end. It's placed in our Bibles, the end of the New Testament, just before the book of Revelation. So let's turn to Jude. We've been studying Jude for some time now. We've had some uh, weeks, in fact, extended weeks where we've had breaks from it. But I I just want to remind you a little bit about this letter. Jude wrote his epistle as an impassioned plea and, and warning to his readers about apostates. And let me just say, Once again, an apostate is not a normal false teacher. An apostate is a false teacher who once claimed to believe in Orthodox Christianity, once claimed to believe the Bible and salvation by grace through faith in in Christ alone, but they never truly were converted. And ultimately, though they once claimed to believe in the gospel, they have departed from the doctrines of orthodoxy of biblical Christianity for some religious error. Now, Jude wrote his letter as a plea and a warning to his readers because he said there are apostates who have infiltrated your churches and they are threatening your spiritual lives. Now, the key to the entire little letter is Jude verses three and four. He explains why he wrote this letter, what it's about, and the situation they face. He said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly, which means to fight, earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all handed down to the saints. Jude says that I, it was my, um, my original intent to write you a letter about our common salvation. Perhaps it was a letter like Romans. But he's, he's saying, in essence, though it's not worded this way, that the Spirit of God put it on my heart to make a change. To make a change to tell you to fight for the faith. The faith is the doctrines of the, of the New Testament, the gospel, that was once and for all handed down and, and given to believers. The once and for all faith never to be changed. Why the change in Jude's Writing, verse 4, for certain persons, and this is the apostates he's talking about, these false teachers, have crept in unnoticed. He means crept into your churches without anyone really knowing this or being aware of this. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, meaning that God predicted that this would happen. Ungodly persons, he explains, who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness. That means essentially that they said, Live any way you want. It's a license to sin. And they deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, having stated the situation that, that they, these Christians and their churches were in, Jude spends the bulk 
of this letter denouncing the apostates. Not only denouncing them, he describes what they're like, and he describes what they're like in order to expose these men as ungodly who will inevitably face the judgment of God. Now, that's what we've been seeing as we've been working our way through this letter up until verse 16. Tonight, though, we have come to a new section in Jude's letter, a turning point in the letter in which Jude shifts his attention away from the apostates, although he mentions them, but now he shifts his attention to helping his readers combat the dangers posed by having apostates in their churches. And I want to read to you verses 17 through 21. We will not be able to cover all of these verses tonight, but this is one section. Jude writes, verse 17, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words which were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers following after their own lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Now, with these words, the epistle becomes very practical because Jude gives some very practical instructions to his readers on what they need to do if they are to spiritually survive the influence of apostates who, keep in mind, had not only infiltrated their churches, but note this, they had crept in with the goal, the ambition, the objective of converting these Christians to their way of thinking. In other words, what Jude is doing here in these verses is giving them and us, by way of application, a strategy by which all believers in Christ will be able to resist false teaching from getting a grip on their own lives. Now, even though you, if you attend Lakeside or in a local church that, to the best of my knowledge, does not have apostates or false teachers, this doesn't mean that what Jude has to say here is irrelevant for us. See, we live in an era where we get exposed to all kinds of religious errors because false teachers abound everywhere. For example, some false teachers are popular public speakers who write books that appeal to our desires to be happy and fulfilled. And that's all. There's nothing about holiness, nothing about denouncing sin, nothing about righteousness. It's just about me being happy, satisfied, fulfilled. Other false teachers are often interviewed on television talk shows because their message is just so positive. It's attractive. It's upbeat. People want to listen to it. Audiences want to hear it. They'll, they'll tune in to listen to those kinds of, of interviews. In contrast to the gospel message which condemns sinners and speaks of judgment and divine wrath. Listen, nobody in the world wants to hear that. Only those who the Lord has drawn to himself are in the process of converting. But nobody in the world wants to hear that. No, nobody in the networks is thinking that that's going to increase people listening or watching their program. Some false teachers actually have their own television and radio broadcasts that reach into our homes spewing error. Some have sharp-looking and well-written online blogs that attract many readers. 
Others are esteemed scholars who head up liberal seminaries, denominations, and church councils. And some are just very influential pastors and teachers who can be extremely persuasive in communicating their errors. So, whether we like it or not, reality is you and I cannot help but be exposed to apostates and their heresies. Therefore, we need to make sure that we have a biblical strategy to survive and resist the influence of false teaching in our lives. And God has given us that strategy in Jude, verses 17 through 21. Now, what Jude does in these verses, he presents two ways to resist the influence of apostates. Two ways, two basic ways. Tonight, we're going to look at the first basic way to resist the influence of apostates. Then we will move into the Lord's Supper. Some will then go. I'll announce they will leave to be uh, get ready for baptism, and uh, and then we will proceed from there. But let's begin. Just this won't be a long, long message, but a little bit to uh, to get into this. We're going to look first of all at the first way that Jude gives us in resisting the influence of apostates, and it's this. He tells us to remember the words. Of the apostles. Very simple command. Look at verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. As the opening words of this sentence indicates when he says, but you, beloved, you can see now that that Jude has shifted his attention from denouncing the false teachers to exhorting the Christians that he was writing to. As we've gone through this letter, we've seen that Jude has been very hard on false teachers, as as he should have been, as we all should be. He was sometimes harsh on these apostates. But I want you to notice the tender affection and the love that he feels for his readers, because he refers to them as beloved. He says this several times in his letter. Beloved, essentially that means that he loves them dearly. Some translations will uh, translate this, dear friends. They are loved by him. He is a pastor who loves this flock. And it's because of his deep affection for them as believers in Christ in the midst of apostates who threaten to undermine their faith that Jude tells them the very first thing that they need to do to counteract the danger posed by these false teachers is, he says, to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, essentially, Jude is commanding us to remember the word of God. To remember the word of God. Because the Lord's apostles, meaning his 12 closest disciples, plus Paul, were chosen by Christ to be his official spokesman and his inspired messengers. So whatever they spoke, whatever they wrote, as pertains to the faith, that's as if Jesus Christ himself were saying those words and speaking and writing down those letters. Therefore, the words they first spoke and then later wrote down in letters are the very words of God known as the New Testament. So what what Jude is doing is calling his beloved flock to make sure that in being exposed to the errors of apostates, they never fail to remember the truths taught to them by the apostles. You see, it is always the truths of the word of God that protect us from the lies 
of Satan. And Satan is behind all false teaching. So the first line of defense against false teaching is to spend time in Scripture. That is essential. And to fill your mind with its sacred truths. Frankly, without a a knowledge of the Word of God and the constant reminding of those truths, you have no defense against the onslaught of error. You are vulnerable, absolutely vulnerable. However, as important as it is for us to remember everything the apostles taught, because what they taught is the basis for everything we believe about Jesus Christ and the gospel, that is what Jude verse 3 says, the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. Jude's point here, though, in verse 17, isn't that we need to remember in general all that the apostles had to say. Now, that is important, but that's not his point. His point is he wants us to recall a specific truth that they taught. And it is in recalling this particular aspect of the apostles' teaching that Jude says that is what will protect us from falling prey to the errors of false teachers. And he mentions this particular teaching proclaimed by the apostles in verse 18. He says that they were saying to you, so this is what he was talking about, remember this. In particular, remember what they were saying to you. Here is what they were saying to you. In the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Jude wants his readers to remember that one of the things that the apostles had said, and even reiterated, because they didn't say it just once, they said it many times, is that during this present age, known as the last time, from the first coming of Christ to the second coming, is the last time. That's the era that we're in. He says, during this present age, the apostles said, there would be men who mocked and belittled the truths of God while they lived any way they chose to live, ungodly lifestyles. Now, in this verse, Jude is almost directly quoting 2 Peter 3, 3. Let me read to you what 2 Peter 3, 3 says. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust. Very similar. However, it wasn't only Peter who predicted this. Jude is saying, remember what all the apostles said. It wasn't only Jude, uh, it wasn't only Peter, rather, who said this. The Apostle Paul many times, I'm only going to mention uh, one or two places where Paul spoke of this, but in Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 29, he, Paul said to, to the elders from the church at Ephesus, he said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise, meaning from amongst the eldership of your church. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. He said, be on, be on alert. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul in verse 1 said this, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. They are deceptive, and behind all false teaching is Satan. He also, and I, just time won't allow us to look at all this, but on your own, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, this is all what Paul had predicted would happen. The Apostle John also said the same thing. In John, 1 John rather, in 1 John chapter 2, 
verse 18, John speaks of essentially the same thing. John says this, Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have appeared from this. We know that it is the last hour. John said there are many false teachers. There are many who oppose Christ. Yes, there is an Antichrist coming, but don't think that there's just one. There is one essential one at the end of the age, but there are many false teachers. John also spoke of this in 1 John chapter 4, 1 through 3. Now, let's go back to Jude and notice very carefully what Jude is actually saying here. He tells us that before it ever happened on a large scale, the apostles warned God's people that this time period that we're living in would be marked by false teachers who not only, he said, would teach error, but notice he said they would actually mock the truth of God. Jude even refers to them as mockers. It means to scoff, to not only scoff at biblical truth, but to ridicule it, laugh at it, belittle it. Now, Peter also said essentially the same thing about false teachers. He called them scoffers as well. But notice that in Peter's letter, he speaks specifically that they mocked the second coming of Christ. They laughed at it. Jude doesn't tell us that. Jude doesn't limit it to one doctrine that they scoffed at. So based on what Jude tells us about these mockers whom he said follow after their own ungodly lusts, it would appear that these mockers were not those who simply focused on one Bible doctrine to laugh at. Jude doesn't tell us that. So we'd have to conclude that their mocking was a general ridiculing of God himself and especially his holy standards of morality. Because that's why Jude would, would add they follow after their own lusts. They laugh at God and they laugh at the standards of morality. In other words, Jude is saying that the apostles taught that this age would be marked by false teachers who would laugh with contempt at the Bible and the moral truths taught in Scripture. And folks, that is exactly what apostates do. It's what they did back then. It's what they do today. See, apostates, I told you, are not ordinary false teachers. They're individuals who are usually very well informed about the Bible because they once claimed to believe the gospel. They once claimed to believe the Christian message. Some of them have studied in evangelical Bible schools and seminaries. There's a, a well-known author out there who went to Moody Bible Institute. Listen, that means he took all the classes that I took, and probably more, because Moody became a four-year school rather than a three-year school when I was there. So they're very well-versed in the Bible. And because of all their Bible knowledge, they know how to belittle it. They know how to belittle it. And they know how to belittle anyone who believes it. And they do this in a way that sounds very enlightened, very scholarly, by attacking the Bible as an outdated book filled with the religious opinions of narrow-minded men who tried to suppress and control people in their generation so they wouldn't be free to live any way they chose to live. In fact, this is precisely why Peter says in his letter, and I'm just going back now to 2 Peter chapter 2.19, it said they promised people freedom. This is the message of false teachers 
They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. In other words, they claim that the, the Bible enslaves people. The Bible will just tie you up so that you're not free to be yourself. But their message, they say, it liberates you. You're free to live any way you want. But ironically, they themselves, both Peter and Jude, tell us, are enslaved to their own passions, their own lusts, their own sins. Their message can't liberate anybody. just sounds liberating, but it really just captures people and it binds them to a life of satanic slavery that they're not even aware of. See, the message of an apostate is that you can live any way you want to live. There's nobody who should tell you how to live. God has no right to tell you what to do with your life. That's how they live. They live any way they want to live. They've chosen a lifestyle according to their own dictates. And based on what Jude has told us, leading up to this, this is a lifestyle of being sexually permissive, refusing to submit to any authority, exploiting people for monetary gain. You may wonder, why would they do all of this? Make money. That's why. He tells us that they are involved in shameful deeds and they're always complaining about something. They are grumblers, complainers. And in their attempt to justify their right to choose their own lifestyle, they intellectually look down and mock anyone who holds a biblical standard of morality. They just say it's old-fashioned and you are an intolerant ignoramus. Or words to that effect. But we need to understand that what is really behind an apostate mocking Christianity is not honest intellectualism. It's not scholarly academics, but rather it is immorality or certainly a desire to live any way they want to live. You see, it's very common, very common to find a serious moral failure in people who have an intellectual problem with the Bible and disdain the Bible and mock it. It is very common if you probe to find that there's a moral issue in their life. But rather than address their moral failure for what it really is and repent, they attack the Bible. They attack the Bible because the Bible condemns their lifestyle. And they think that if they just assault the Bible enough times, they might be able to convince themselves that what they're doing is right. So they're trying to to callous their own conscience by their behavior and their verbal attacks as well. In fact, Jude even mentions in verse 19 something of how these apostates carry on their work of trying to make the Bible look silly. And he does this by actually describing them. I know I said that he's described them in the, the section prior to this, but he just touches a little bit on this. Notice verse 19. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. Now, the first thing Jude says about apostates in light of them mocking the truth is that they cause divisions, meaning that they cause divisions in the church. That's what he's talking about. They actually have come into the church. They cause divisions in the church. It is interesting that the thought behind this particular Greek word is to make a distinction or to set a boundary between someone. So it would appear, based on the context of these men ridiculing the Bible, that Jude means that these men cause divisions 
in the, the church of that day by making a distinction between themselves and others in the church, the congregation. In other words, they separated themselves from the majority of the people in the church by elevating themselves above others as those who were more spiritual than anybody else in the congregation. This may have been the very beginnings of what later in the next century came to be known as Gnosticism, a a, a knowledge that only the elite had. So that is to say that they divided the church, these men, into those who were just ordinary folks, run-of-the-mill folks, and themselves, who were the spiritually elite of the church because they knew more than others. They were enlightened, and therefore they were qualified to scoff at the Bible, live any way they wanted, and make the Bible say whatever they wanted it to say. Now, isn't this exactly the haughty attitude that so many liberal theologians have today? They pride themselves on being intellectually and academically brighter than other people. Therefore, they consider themselves to be the elite of the church, the aristocracy of the church. But listen, although they may consider themselves more spiritual than others in the church, they just aren't. They're not. In fact, Jude himself tells us they're not more spiritual. Notice the next thing Jude says about them. He calls them worldly-minded. The actual Greek word that's used here literally is soulish, soulish, like a soul, meaning that that which pertains to the soul, S-O-U-L, and the soul is used in Scripture to speak of physical life. That is consistently how the word soul is used, to speak of physical life. Now, you realize what Jude is saying? He's telling us that although they consider themselves to be above Everybody else thinking that they operate on just a higher spiritual plane than others. In reality, they operate, he said, on on just the opposite, purely a physical level. That's it. Purely a physical level. In other words, they're not spiritual at all. Not at all. They're simply controlled by their own natural thinking and fleshly desires. Just unregenerate men. And that is precisely why Jude concludes his description of these men in verse 19 by saying they are devoid of. Of the Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit does not dwell in them. They don't have the Spirit. Spirit is not there. And Paul made it very clear in Romans chapter 8, verse 9 if the Spirit of God does not indwell you, you do not belong to Christ, he said. The Spirit of God indwells every single Christian. They're not even saved, they're not legitimate Christians. So far from being spiritually above everybody else, they're not even in the kingdom. Now, I want us to stop for just a moment and and get the big picture here. Jude has commanded us to remember that before any apostates had infiltrated the churches, the apostles said they'd be coming with their mocking of God and their deviant lifestyle. So why did Jude command us to remember this warning by the apostles? What good does this warning do us now that apostates have arrived? And how could remembering what the apostles predicted help us in resisting the present influence of apostates? Here's Jude's point. All that to say, here's his point. The fact that all the apostles predicted this would happen, the widespread influence of false teachers during this age, is a reminder, folks, that God is totally in control. God is totally sovereign over the situation. You see, if the Lord, through his Apostles predicted the presence of false teachers who would mock 
his truth, then it means that God was absolutely aware of the scenario taking place and that he wasn't caught by surprise. And you and I don't need to be anxious thinking, how could this happen? What's happening to the church? The fact that so many churches and religious institutions are filled with false teachers should never discourage us. Never discourage us as if God's plan has gone astray. God knew all about it. God knew all about the mocking of his word and the ungodly lifestyles of the apostates long before they ever materialized. And he commands us to keep all of that in mind so that we are not confused. Are not confused by their lies and their their attacks on the truths of his word. What is it that will protect us from being influenced by apostates who deny the deity of Christ They reject the authority of the Bible. They twist the message of Christianity, especially the grace of God. What is it? It is the constant reminding of yourselves of what the apostles said about these men. You keep reminding yourself that Jesus said this would happen. This is exactly what's happened. I don't need to be anxious over this. I don't need to be captivated by this. That does not appeal to me. Jesus said this would happen. See, it's only as we look to the word of God that we'll be able to resist false teaching. Spiritual steadfastness comes only to those who grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's not my opinion. That's what Peter said. Peter ended ended his epistle saying in 2 Peter 3, 17 and 18, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away By the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. I didn't say fall from salvation, but fall from being steady and firm. Understand what's going on. So how do you do this? He said, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you tonight, are you spending enough time in the word of God? Are you spending time studying the Bible to understand truth? From error. Otherwise, you are vulnerable to the attacks of false teachers whose goal is to confuse you and eventually lure you away from biblical Christianity. Jude commands us to remember. This is a command, by the way, the way it is in the Greek text. It is a command to remember the words of the apostles as they predicted the coming of false teachers. 